The scripture reading this morning is taken from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 3, starting in the 14th verse. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through the all generations forever and ever. Amen. Morning. Just thinking, uh, Jen and I, courtesy of Amanda, got to go to uh, Justin Timberlake on, what was it, Thursday night. Um, and there's always a contrast when you go to one of these concerts between the opening act and the main act. The opening act, they get kind of a little stage. In this case, the stage was even different. The opening act uh, got this little portion of the stage, a few lights and stuff. But then when the main act comes, right? And I always think to myself, what would it look like if the main act got just the lights and the stage of the opening act. I mean, a lot of the energy that you feel is because of the special effects, all the things going on, all the, and it just makes you feel something enormous. I want to talk to you about something today that I know, I, I absolutely know, and you know, you could argue about it or other people might have difference of opinion. I know that this is the best Thing you could ever consider in the history of the world or in this, the scope of your life. But most of the time, you're going to be saying it from the little stage. So if you don't see it, if you don't notice this best thing ever, uh, I don't know that special effects is going to do it for you. We're talking about God's great and deep love. This is the peak this morning. We told you that Ephesians, this book we've been studying, it goes chapter 1, 2, and 3, have a theological presentation and argument. It's mostly theology. And then it peaks in the reading that we just listened to, that Laura read to us. And then after that, it seems like, if you listen to the reading, it seems like that's the end. There's a doxology there at the end of the reading. But there's three more chapters left in the book after this. It gets very practical. So we're at the peak now. But we just went through this. Valentine's Day. Did you have a good Valentine's Day? Do you care about Valentine's Day? I mean, some people do. Some people don't. Some people are sickened by those who care about Valentine's Day. Like, it's really, really important. Um, So, I mean, I don't know if you can remember a time when you were lost in love and you didn't know how much. 
or whether you remember a time when Valentine's Day was making cheap cards and taping Hershey's Kisses to them so your kids could have something to hand out, which it can be stressful in itself. When you see it, though, when you feel it, that love, this is maybe why it's a little bit sickening. Because those who see this and feel this, there can be a contrast. So think of a news report on reconciliation. Two people being reconciled or a relative finding someone that they hadn't seen for years and years, these kinds of news stories you get, right? Does it pull at your heartstrings? Can you experience, now I'm not talking about that romantic love that's celebrated on Valentine's Day. Why is it that sometimes romantic love can just sicken us when we see it with others? But those, I wouldn't say, I guess deeper than romantic love, deeper, more lasting kinds of love can really, really, really pull at our heartstrings even if we're not participating in that. Can you watch as love is profoundly demonstrated through something that is not connected to you, but you're glad that it's happening for that other person? There's maturity in this, right? Or do you have to feel it? Does it have to be you? If you see love in its depth, if you truly feel it, There's nothing else like it. It could be friendship. It could be companionship. Um, It could be spiritual. It might be all of these together. But it is that place where you say to yourself in your mind, your thoughts, you say, I'm not alone in the world. Somebody else cares about me, no matter what. It's a stunning revelation that someone cares for us, even the possibility that someone would give their life for you. And then another step of maturity for you to realize, I care for them. Maturity, of course, is to see that others are loved, that this isn't something that you contain unto yourself and therefore the world's good because you feel this. Maturity is realizing that isn't it great that other people realize they're not alone in the world, even if I sometimes feel like I am. Can you appreciate the love that others know and see? And then you also might know the pain of feeling alone or unloved. And again, a step of maturity to somehow share in that pain even if that's not what you're feeling. So you realize that you're cared for, you're loved, you're not alone in the world, but you know that there are people who feel unloved and uncared for and you enter into that pain. So you move from a sentimental hallmark holiday to an actual kind of valentine, maybe that's the wrong word for it, but to a vista of the beauty of actual deep love. And today we get to the peak. I've changed the picture. This is a place that, of course, the Burgies will recognize well and some who are here. This is a little place called Gorapani. Oh, this is Tatapani, sorry. (laughs) Like it matters to you, but anyway. (laughs) It's Gorapani comes before Tatapani. And this is in the Himalayas. That's Annapurna, right? Yes. 
3,684 meters, right? Feet, sorry, okay, what am I, okay. Um, and I'm putting this as the peak because I would like to see this vista to imagine it. When we were in this place, uh, I can still feel it, of course. I don't know if you can, just from the image, a little bit. But for those of us who were there, of course, you actually can remember the physical feeling that you're standing there looking up at those mountains. We're right by where those kind of buildings are. And you, it just takes your breath away. You're astounded. When Paul writes Ephesians, he brings us to a peak. It's not just looking up at a vista, but it's somehow imagining. You imagine standing there looking at that. But when you're standing there looking at that, I think one of the things that happens sometimes for some of us, what would it be like to be on that peak? Not just to want to climb it, not some eco-adventure tourism thing. But if I feel this small and humble now, What would I feel at the top of that, looking down? Somehow you'd feel alone in a way, small. Paul is going to write Ephesians to get us to this vista. I pray, he says, that you would see the height and depth and width and length of the love of God. And for us to imagine it as that most incredible view, 360 degrees you could ever see. This is the number one thing that Christians should be motivated by. And we ought to make no apologies for it. We've grown up in times, I've seen this, where, well, we've heard enough about God's love. We need to hear more about these other things. There's nothing except God's love. Everything else is contained in God's love, including judgment and all of those things that, yes, we need to talk about. But nothing, 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 nothing at all is as big as God's love. And if you tell me you're bored by it, then you don't know it. It's the number one motivation for Christians always. So you have a loved one in your family who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, hasn't responded to Christ's love. What, what ought to be motivating you? Love. Your number one prayer, that they would see God's love. If fear becomes a motivator, it can be effective in the short term. Many, many religious communities have been dominated by the motivation of fear, right? Fear, in a way, in a short term, can produce greater results than love. But they will always dissipate. If someone comes to Christ through fear, but doesn't get to love, there'll be great danger. Last week, making known the mystery the first part of Ephesians chapter 3. And the mystery is that God's love is always bigger than we can imagine. You thought, Paul says to these people, that it was contained. That God's love and God's favor was, was, this, was with this particular group of people. And it's interesting that the people who think God's love is particular always think that they're part of the box that gets the love. Right? It says you've let go of the walls around that and realize that God's love is for all. So not just for Jews in the, in, the, in the model in the book, but for Gentiles as well, which the language would mean all people. It's an expansive love. And today, 
verses 14 to 21, Paul intercedes for the people and asks that they would know power and maturity. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So he's taken all that he said before, all this building of this theological argument, and he said, now here's what I'm going to do for you. This is the one thing that I'm going to do for you, those as part of this church, this church at Ephesus. Here's what I'm doing. And remember, he's writing from prison about this joy of God's presence and love. He says, so knowing all of this that I've built up, here's what I do. I kneel before God. Why kneel? Because there's a humility in it. I kneel before God, but when I do, you are in my prayers. And this is what I pray. See, theology, theology, theology. Pastor. I kneel before the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What's He doing there? I kneel before the Father and all of creation and all people and God being sovereign over all people. See how this is not simply, I kneel before the Father and I know you guys are so special compared to everybody else. Not saying that. I kneel before the Father and as I pray for you, I pray to the One who names all people. And then he's going to describe what his prayer is. This is Paul's posture. This is what matters to him. And all has led up to this. And so what he's saying is, this is what I want for you. I don't know how often well-meaning people, good people, have told you what they want for you. It's easy for us, for those of us who are parents, to think of this with kids. And particularly as they grow up, it gets so much easier as they they grow up because you just have more time. And you can kind of do more things, but the more stressful part is you have less control, like you ever really did. And so you find yourself kind of, this is what I want for them. But yet you're able, you're unable to make that happen as much as you were when they were just a little child. And now this is Paul praying for adults, for people, for a church, and saying, this is my prayer for you. This is what I want for you. So if I were to say to you, You can think of this for me. You can think of this for people around you, for your own loved ones, your family, your friends. I'll go from me to you first. What should I want for you? I I could say this for any individual here. What should I want for you? That things would work out for you, for your life? That that longing that you have, that you seem to have carried for days, weeks, months, or years and years, decades, that somehow that would be met? In some ways, I would want that, sure. But mostly because I can see the, the longing that that produces in you and the pain that that can bring. So I pray for some of you about very practical things, for family members, loved ones, situations, health, all these things. I want all of those things for you. But what's the one thing that I should want for you? What should you want for me? Of course, it becomes interesting, right, when we think, well, what I want for you And if I can tell you what I want for you really means like it really affects me well. So I want you to, you know, do all these things so that we can blah, 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 get to this place. And then that would make me feel better. But really it's about me, right? So you could do that to me. What do I want for Todd? I want him to do this better or more, right? But 
drop those kinds of expectations and in love, what would you want? To defeat that struggle? To achieve that goal? We can't get out of this mindset in our world. We congratulate people at these times of achievement, right? You got into that school, you got that job. These are good things and we should keep congratulating. But what do you really want for that person? That they would feel better? That they would be better? That they would make better choices? There's an answer. What should I want for you? For this reason, I kneel before the Father who names all peoples, and I pray. And this is what I want for you. I could make it a long sermon, just get, you know, one by one, people come up here and I say it to you, each one of you. This is what I long for you, and it's the 100% truth that you would see the height, the depth, the width, and the length of the love of God. And if we can't see it, then what on earth do we have to offer anybody else? Judgment? That's weak. People who are judgmental so often come off as strong. It's not strength, it's weakness. You know what that other person needs to do? Come on. Some of us can see through that and see that that often masks an inadequacy in yourself. Weak. What do I want for you? I long that you would see God's love. like a vista, like being caught up. and All of a sudden, you're with a bunch of people or something, and you just feel like so connected to everybody. You're connected to every single person, but somehow you're also completely and totally alone before God. In Christ, in Him. Everything falls away, but you're not erased. Instead, somehow, and we would each describe this differently. I can just describe how I feel it. When I say in my prayers, when I see this expansiveness of the love of Christ, I say in my prayers, I get to be part of this? I am loved. We'll keep going with the Himalayan life and the Paul theme. There's a wonderful film that many of us here have seen um, that shows the work of Himalayan life, Daniel, Karina, and many others. And it's just really, really well made. It's showing again this coming week, correct? Thursday night at Granville Chapel at 7. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what you're doing that night. This is probably better. Uh, Go and see. There's still room. Go and see it. It's free? There you go. Uh, it, these, these mountain kind of places, these scenes, so it's beautiful. The, the cinematography is fantastic. 
it would take your breath away. But what takes your breath away more than any natural vista is to see somebody come to life. And only God's love can bring people to life. Only the incarnation of Jesus Christ can bring people to life. Not correction. So the movie has a few stories, but one that I remember. Daniel had to fill in the details for me. Because sometimes you remember these things in pictures, right? It's a young man named Kieran. And they use the kind of the metaphor of him running throughout the film. And then you realize that, you know, he's been kind of running for much of his young life running away from police who would beat him up, running away from dangerous situations. He goes to the place where he and others used to sleep under this bridge in Pokhara. He goes to these other, all of these other places where all kinds of difficulty and struggle. And then there's a scene where he's standing on the street. I think Daniel's there with him and others. And it's kind of the closest thing to an interview. And he's recounting his story. And he's saying, look, I, I, this is what I was living. And you can feel the pain and the struggle. But he also points out, he said, there were many organizations that tried to help me. There's some government things. There's some other things. Well-meaning places. And he says, in my case, I went to Himalayan life to the street kitchen and went there and then went back there and then went back there again. And I realized something, that these people weren't just trying to give me something, that somehow they may actually love me. See me. For Kieran, he said this was the turning point in his life when he realized that he wasn't unloved. So, when we were there, well, this text, before I show you these next two pictures, this text, verses 14 to 21, and this is so often. Uh, the writing of the New Testament. And with Paul, he writes this way often, where we've translated it so that it's easier to digest, so we break it up. But so often, actually much of the Bible is like this. Uh, it's just one long sentence. From verses 14 to 21 is one sentence in the original language. One long sentence. Why would it be like that? Because he is so filled with the Holy Spirit and so excited that you would see what he is trying to describe that it's just, and this, and this, and this, and I pray this, that this would happen in your heart, that Christ would dwell in you, that you would be able to see, and that this, and that this, and that this. In between, well, from Gorapani, there's a place, and, and it was one of these things, when we were doing this little trek, um, there was talk a couple, couple few days in advance of a place called Poon Hill. And Poon Hill was a place where I, I realized, and those of us who were on the trip realized, oh, that's a place that is supposed to be spectacular. And we'll get there, and you'll walk up this mountain hill, and from there, there will be one of these large, large vistas. I think Daniel and Rick and I actually went up the evening and tried to see, but it was cloudy. And then really, really early, before sunrise, it was really, really early, that's when most people go, and there were a ton of people from Korea, tourists and other people, and everybody walks up this little trail, and it's not like, you know, it's just interesting. And you get to the top, and it, we couldn't see very well. Still striking, still beautiful. It's interesting, because when you're in a place like that, if you've been in enough of them, 
you know that you can't see what you are supposed to be seeing. And somehow, that can almost be enough. Two petitions in this text. The first is for inner strengthening. So he's kneeling before God and he's praying for these people. And what's he praying? He says, first. Well, he doesn't give it one, two. But he prays that first they would be strengthened in their inner being. Why? Why would I pray for you that you would be strengthened in your inner being? So that you can face the challenges of life more? So that you can feel more spiritual or something? I mean, feeling spiritual isn't the greatest thing in the world. It's okay. It might feel better than feeling unspiritual. But why am I praying for your inner strengthening? So that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. So that somehow, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the one who is before all things and in whom all things hold together, we've been told this in Colossians and earlier in Ephesians, and in Ephesians the emphasis is that in the end all things are going to be in Christ. All things united in Christ. This is Ephesians taught. I pray that Christ himself would dwell in your hearts through faith, by this inner strengthening, through the Holy Spirit, verses 16 and 17, so that you would know, and it's the second petition, is a prayer for knowledge. So it's a prayer for strengthening and a prayer for knowledge. And that's where the vista comes in. That you would know the height, the depth, the width, and the length of the love of God. What are the indications in your life that you don't? I mean, the indication of the lack of love being your motivation is the presence of fear being your motivation. And often those of us who appear, it's easy to appear the most holy or whatever. But sometimes, again, that's a mask that we ourselves are failing to see the depth of the love of Christ. This is the word for salvation. The love of God is free, majestic, and eternal. The love of God is free, majestic, and eternal in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would see God's love. What makes the difference in a church? If you want to build a church quickly, fear is the best thing to use. Tell people what they're doing wrong. Make them feel bad and guilty. It's amazing. People actually, even today, there's enough people that respond to that. It's an easier way to draw a crowd. If you want to build something that's lasting, it's always to pray that people, your loved ones, you and others, would know the height, the depth, and the width, and the length of the love of Christ. And then this doxology, verses 20 and 21, as if there's nothing left to say. The reminder is that the basis of human love is the love of God. The Christian loves, whenever you love, if you love those in your family, you love people in the world, you're motivated in this, the Christian loves because, because God has first loved us. So then, in the rest of the book, you get how to live in light of this. Or, if you see God's love, then here is how you will live. And then you get the sections. We'll go through them. Unity in the body. Whatever differences you might have, you'll still have unity. Why? Why? Because you've worked super hard to keep unified? No. You'll have unity because together the thing that you've seen is God's love. 
You can have disagreement and both see God's love and you'll still be unified. What the new life is, that it's not greed or appetite-driven or impure, that you would speak the truth, that there would not be bitterness or anger or wrath among you. Why do you not have these things? Because you've seen God's love. And then a big section on walking in love. Then, the parts of Ephesians that are sometimes used against people instead of for people, it's amazing how this happens. Children and parents, wives and husbands, all this kind of thing, right? So we've got a lot of stumbling through Christian history because of sections like wives and husbands and children and parents. Here's what you should do if you're a wife in a marriage. Here's what you should do if you're a husband. Here's what you... None of that. Don't go there until you've seen this vista. Employers and employees. If you do all of these things, if you seek to get all of this right without the love of Christ, you will be, in the words of 1 Corinthians, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13 says, even if you have supernatural powers, spiritual superpowers, like you can speak special God languages, You can make things appear. You can do all kinds of special effects spiritually. You're astounding so that people think, wow! If you do all those things without love, your noise, even if you have faith, let me go back to here. Even if you have faith that can move a mountain. Without love. There's there's a description for what you are if you have faith that can move a mountain, but not love. You want the description? Nothing. I just moved a mountain. nothing. So this is Poon Hill. It wasn't a clear day. But I can still go there now. Of course, now you know what you can do? You can just Google image it. And you can see the view you were supposed to see. Ah, I think of it sometimes riding my bike around the city, pouring rain or something, riding through Stanley Park, totally socked in, and you see tourists in the little horse-drawn thing, and you feel so sorry for them, you want to say, there's actually mountains there. (laughs) Don't miss the only vista you ever need to see in your life. You don't need to see Poon Hill. You don't need to see the North Shore Mountains. There's no bucket list. Christian faith. You need to see one thing. The height, the depth, the width, and the length of the love of God in Christ. Everything else is tiny. That's why when you are at a place like that and you've seen this love of God, you look out and you think, this is the hugest thing I've ever seen and it's tiny. That's the language Paul is speaking. 
The one loved by God acquires their worth from the fact that God loves them. When you have seen this love of Christ, the text says of Christ, more particular than just saying of God. Of Christ, the one who gave himself. The one who said, if you want to know what God looks like, what God is like, look to me. I'm still encouraged, appreciative of the fact that even in our culture where, and I think sometimes it's good, all kinds of religious things are made fun of. Christian things can be demeaned and made fun of. But you don't, you see some of the people that are doing this shy away from making fun of Jesus Christ himself. Why? Because there's no, there's no law against what Jesus Christ brings. People can see that he loves them. The one loved by God acquires their worth from the fact that God loves them. As this freely electing love. The love of God is unconditional, strong, and victorious. See that last word, victorious? That's why judgment, like if you become judgmental in your faith, that's why that's often a sign of weakness, not strength. I think almost always. Because the love of God is actually victorious. It's not weak. None of this means that God calls sin not sin. Just His love is so much bigger. It is a burning fire which cannot be quenched. It is wholly trustworthy. It is a rock to which we cling without fear of its crumbling. It is a refuge to which we flee without doubting whether it will stand. So we pray. What would I ask for you? What might you ask for me? What would I ask for those that you care for? Those who you love? That they would see this love of God in Christ. I pray it every day for so many myself included. For this reason I kneel before the Father. And now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more. This is the last two verses of this text. It sounds like the end of the book. (laughs) And now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. In other words, what is it that you're afraid of that you want to see happen that isn't happening? He can do more than that. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or can even imagine. According to His power at work in us. This is picking up language from earlier in the book. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So I can take you now to communion. Spend the next few minutes taking communion. And this is a Holy Spirit exercise that you have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you and to guide you. I can give you the metaphor of the mountains, Coon Hill and Tatapani and those kinds of things, and you can feel that a little bit more. You can anticipate it. You can, But the truth is, the more powerful demonstration of God's power and love 
the stronger presentation of God's power and love, we are told is contained in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that God takes the most basic of elements in our world and uses them to say, now take this bread. This is the body of Christ. Now bring yourself back up on that mountain. This is the body of Christ who gave himself for the world. And you do the most tiny thing you could what he did. This is the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. You, in your sinfulness, turned away from the love of God. Why would we ever do that? But we do. And you thought you could take care of your life better than God could. This is the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your individual, and your of the world, sins. The most astounding vista you could ever imagine. You're about to partake. But the Holy Spirit must reveal it to you. We always say you're welcome to take this bread and this cup if you know Jesus Christ or would like to. But when you take it, you do declare His death. You recognize His love for you and for this world. And you declare your faith in Him. Let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord Jesus, that on the night You were betrayed. I always, though those are hard words, I love that they're there in our Scripture. On the night You were betrayed, You took bread and You broke it. And You gave it to them, including to the one who betrayed You. We know, Lord Jesus Christ, that this represents your body given for us. And this cup represents your blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And in taking this, we declare our trust in you. Would you open our eyes again to your love, Lord Jesus Christ? Help us to remember that there is nothing weak about it. When we see it in truth, it decimates all darkness and fear. I pray for those in this congregation who are at times given more to fear. We can all be there. Lord God, would Holy Spirit, would you bless us with an awareness of your love which is stronger? Show us that we can trust in you for the things that matter most to us and the people that matter most to us. Come Holy Spirit. Bless this communion in Christ's name we pray. Amen.